Welcome to episode 7 of the Tapping Into podcast. The feedback on last week's podcast with Prune Harris was so good, so do make sure you catch up on that too. This podcast is sponsored by Orverum, an award-winning cult beauty and well-being brand steeped in ritual, powered by nature, focused on self-care and finessed by science. After all the sun we've been having, my skin is soaking up the firming body lotion. In a gorgeous bottle and handy pump, it is perfect for this time of the year. Ovirum are offering you a chance to feel relaxed, restored and renewed by giving you an exclusive 20% discount using the code TAPPINGFORMUMS. In this week's episode, I catch up with Mary Kennedy. Mary describes herself as an audacious, inquiring Celtic crone. She is a women's development coach and mentor, Celtic wisdom guide, embodiment teacher and determined to be a new paradigm entrepreneur. Her passion is evolution, in particular women claiming the sovereignty of our own body, mind and soul. Her work is about reweaving the forbidden feminine back into our lives and our culture, igniting a new understanding of the masculine and healing the split between the inner, feminine and masculine in all genders. In her global online Celtic Wheel program, she guides a tribe of women on a year-long soul journey through the eight sacred Celtic festivals. Here we discuss the dark feminine and the suppression of women, the Kylock awakening, the invitation to embodiment, the balance of our masculine and feminine sides, the meaning of surrender, the power of the void, and how love is both the darkness and the light. And we chat about the Celtic Wheel, and gosh, I cried at so many different points during this recording and when I was re-listening too. This is a very powerful conversation and I feel this will really speak to your soul. You can find Mary at marykennedy, M-A-R-I-K-E-N-N-E-D-Y.com or at marykennedywisdom on Instagram. As always, do let us know how you get on with this chat and tell us what speaks to your soul. Mary, welcome to the Tapping Into podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm so welcome. Uh, you're so welcome. I'm so I'm so delighted to be here, Sarah. And where are you based in Ireland? I'm currently in Dublin. Uh, yeah, I've been here for many years, um, but that probably is likely to change in the next couple of months. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. A little move to the countryside. Yeah, I'm not quite sure yet, but uh, like mo- many of us, we're being reassigned at this time. So um, that's on the cards for me anyway. Exciting. And where are you from originally? I'm originally from Sligo, northwest of Ireland. Uh, yeah, from a little little town, village, not town, called Aclare at the foot of the Ox Mountains. Wow. Beautiful, Sounds idyllic. Country. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Um. And you have been on quite a journey, from what I can gather, uh, a journey of reclamation, a journey uh, inward, a journey home, a journey around the globe in terms of, you know, learning with so many different people. Um, What sparked your journey home to you? I suppose it depends on the lens with which you look look through uh, to answer that question. I mean, in in uh, regular, and it was looking through a regular lens. It was crisis. Uh, looking through a mythological lens, it was the Kalyuk, which is you know she's the the hag in the in the Celtic tradition who comes and shakes you and tells you you can't live like this anymore. Um, or you know through an evolutionary lens, it's like evolution is what 
brought me home or started me on the journey. So any of those things, they're all the same in my view now. Um, but it was it was when my when things fell apart, when the life that I'd been living uh, just wasn't sustainable anymore. And I was a slow learner, Sarah, you know, I was <laughs> nudges right through my 30s. I wasn't listening. I was just plowing ahead, pushing, mm-hmm. forcing, doing all that, you know, high achieving. I was, you know, I'd been very successful in my career and, you know, it looked like I, I often say I was living the dream or should I say the illusion, but then it got shattered because I, it's not sustainable. You know, I now see from here, this perspective, almost 20 years later, um, at 39, my world fell apart and, and really what fell apart was what I was identifying so strongly with, you know, what I was doing, who I was, who I was hanging out with, you know, living that dream that the culture said was the dream, you know, was this is success. Mm. But actually, and I was obviously so attached to it, I, I couldn't hear the nudges until the whole thing had to come f- crashing down. Until the rock bottom. Yeah. Well, it wasn't quite rock bottom at that stage, but oh, um, okay. You know, I got to rock bottom a little, t- a little late. I thought it was rock bottom, but as the Kalia comes, that great hag, she comes and she, she keeps well, well, inviting you initially into the descent, and then suddenly she's like, she's going, okay, now you're really coming in. So yeah, that came that came about five years later. Wow. Does um the Kalia link to like the Lilith or the Kali energy is that yeah it's the dark feminine yeah the dark feminine that has been so denied and repressed in our culture you know Uh, anything that's dark and death and uh, destruction um, falling apart messy chaotic Mm -hmm. um, aging all of that it's anything that our culture you know really doesn't or hasn't I mean it's slightly changing now because of all, all our work but the the culture to that the patriarchal culture in particular just absolutely never valued and so it was pushed down and pushed away into our unconscious and and we were living and we're living lives unconsciously trying to avoid this Kalyuk this Kali this Lilith yeah you know, she has so many names Baba Yaga that like in all the fairy tales, all the myths, it's like you go into the dark forest, it's darkness, death, it's destruction. It's like shedding. It's shattering. Yeah. Yeah. And why are we so afraid of it? Like um, why has, why have we been repressed and, and suppressed? Well, that's a great question. I mean, there's lots of different, there's, there's ways that, well, why have we been, can bring me into my kind of, um, into more my, like, I want to analyze it, which is important, but I think it's much more important to know actually, well, what, yes, we have, why have we, and I will answer it, mm-hmm. but not to stay too long there, because actually it's much more interesting to know well, how have I, how have I repressed this and how has it shown up in my life? But to go back to your question, why have we, um, I, you know, it's, 
way, way back. I, I mean, it's in so, for some people, um, some theories are that, you know, back in the Neolithic, there was the matriarchal culture. And then like it, even the Celts, as they came, they came with the patriarchal. And that that time, not just in Ireland, but right through Europe, with a more, um, the, the matriarchal cultures were pushed down. The feminine, with the goddess, um, the, the, the cultures that really honoured the goddess were pushed down. Why did it happen? I don't know. Um, but it's a, it's all about power, you know. I really like Dimitri George's, uh, has a, writes about, that actually it's just maybe a natural cycle, that just like the moon, there's a dark phase, and we've been a dark, in a dark phase since then. That allows my body to soften. Uh, because there's no real blame because like it's the culture and we each create the culture so I don't I don't find it terribly generative to blame people to stay in blame I mean of course yeah they're it's important but so what I like to think of is we're entering we're coming out of the dark phase the feminine is rising and and that was a phase that we had to go through. There was matriarchal-led cultures, prehistoric cultures. Then we moved into this around the Neolithic time uh, where the feminine was repressed. And now it's a time of integration of both. That's my sense. So I yeah. hope I answered your question. Yeah, yeah. No, totally. Um, how does it feel when you were having your Kailat awakening, um, how would you recognize that in your body? How did you know what it was? Well, I mean, I didn't really know initially. It just was that, you know, that crisis of, oh, my God, everything's falling apart. It, it was just so incredible because there were so many domains of my life falling apart. So. I was luckily I had been, you know, training as a yoga teacher since when from when I was 35 and this was 39. So I'd become a yoga teacher. So I and I was always, you know, I was really I was really interested in. In the mystery of life, mm. I kind of lost it I, as a child, I had really was really interested in it with. I was very deeply spiritual child. I loved being in processions and singing hymns and lighting candles. And um, and then I, I kind of strayed from that. But uh, I, there was always a, a depth of kind of something connected to something bigger in me. So I, I suppose how I recognized it was when I started to see that there was so much falling apart. But I think the biggest time when when I went to an astrology reading, which, reading which was kind of bizarre because I wasn't doing it out of a spiritual thing. Someone had just said to me, I was I was changing my career, I was trying to have kids, and someone said to me, "Go and get your astrology chart read. You know, you might get a sense of what what you're good at or what your kind of talents are, your gifts are." And I went, and it just. Pluto, I was going through a Pluto, some kind of Pluto thing. All I remember is like <laughs> walking out of there going, oh, my God, it's not all my fault. There's something bigger at play here. So mm. that helped me. And then it was just the, the sense of, 
you know, really feeling lost. I mean, that to me is the mark of the Kalyak. It's massive disruption and loss. And so the status, there was no ground beneath me. The ground kept kept breaking up beneath me. And that was the feeling I suppose I had. Mm. And, you know, when you're in the middle of a crisis, you're, you have some kind of grace I think comes that allows you to, to mostly um, not until it, not until afterwards that you look back and go, how did I do that? How did I go through mm. all of that? But I did have a sense of like something bigger is at work. Um, and yeah, it's just deep loss, disruption, and then the grief that comes with that and the confusion. Those are things that I really would have felt. And even though I was a trained yoga teacher at that time, I wasn't in my body. So I didn't feel anything in my body. Mm-hmm. I was just, this was all in my head. Um, and a lot, and, and a lot of shame actually too, because it was like, how could I let my marriage fall apart? And how could I suddenly have, have gone from a big career to nothing and moving out of the beautiful house into, you know, not knowing where I was going to live. So uh yeah all of those things but not necessarily felt in the body because at that time my whole journey was to climb back into my body and start to really feel these to reconnect yeah yeah so was it like um the masculine world around you was completely crumbling to kind of level you to go in to find the feminine yeah, I mean, I didn't know it at that at that yeah. stage. Was yeah. and it, it's not just the masculine around me; it was the masculine in me. Was yes. you know that part of me that, as as growing up in the seventies and eighties in Ireland, I learned that you know being a good girl, high achieving, um, nailing things, knowing things, um, managing and controlling things were actually how you succeeded. And suddenly when the Kalyuk comes, there's none of that. There's no controlling. Mm-hmm. There is no uh, managing because everything is completely upturned and you're dragged by the hair through. Screaming. Realms, <laughs> screaming through the realms of hell. No, I mean, <laughs> you know, I know that sense. But that's that's kind of what's happening in the cycle, <laughs> you know. Um, so, yeah, that was it. The structures that I very had identified myself with and because the culture valued them, therefore I valued them. I got rewarded for them. So those structures um, or were dissolving. I just I mean, as, as I would see if my soul was just not allowing them to be sustained any further. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and then it was the invitation was, can I come back to my depths? Because what I would say there is that that unhealthy masculine aligns very much with the surface level, with what others think, what, you know, the arena, what people are in the looking at you. You know, we really I was not we, but I and I see it in a lot of the women that I coach and work with. Mm-hmm. We're so identified with with being accepted and seen as like really great and um kind of perfect was certainly one of the things that I was was really facing so anything like that started to dissolve and and the invitation was can you let them go can you surrender into this not knowing which will bring you into your depths actually 
Mm. I mean, I know that now from this side. I didn't know that back then. It was yeah. just like, oh my good Jesus, what's happening? Who am I? It is a very, very big lesson in surrender. So what does that mean to you? What does surrender mean? What does letting go mean? Well, you know, I think I know because I do it. I'm constantly been brought into that place and invited. Surrender is such a magnificent practice, but it's really hard in the beginning when you've lived a life where you've been rewarded and you've been acknowledged for knowing everything, you know, getting things right, being, you know, being the one up, being the top of the, like, I know this, I can nail this, I I've got this. I've got the answer to this. Look, your the surrender is can I let go into not knowing? That's the surrender. Can I let go into something bigger that actually like I call it the cosmic flow? Can I surrender into that so that like I can trust in something because with surrender it comes with trust and it comes with resistance. And we're always trusting in something. So when we're not surrendering, we're usually trusting in a hostile world, in a world that, you know, Einstein said, the most important question humans ask each other, ask themselves is, do I believe in, that the world is hostile or friendly? So when we're not able to surrender, usually we have a belief that the world is hostile. And so we have huge resistance. Mm. to surrender because it's like if I let go what will happen if I let go of Mary who you know had this big career and uh you know had this lifestyle then who am I if I'm Mary who's teaching a yoga class with two people in it so it's what's but what's really important is we often say oh just let go just surrender but it's really hard you can't Mm. So we have to marry. Well, I feel we, it's important that surrender and resistance go hand in hand. So you surrender, you kind of exhale a little and then you resist. And then there'll be a, something else will happen. You'll get a little bit more trust in the universe that has that is a this beautiful web of holding of cosmic movement that's moving through you. And you slowly, slowly, but it takes a lot of you know, it takes a lot to just actually surrender. So what what often happens and what happened to me is we usually turn invitation of surrender into, oh, if I, you know, a self-improvement thing. It's like, I'm going to surrender. I'm going to surrender. And then it's like your neurology is not able to surrender. It's not, we're not set up for surrender. Mm. So we, I really think it's important that I remember somebody saying at a retreat I ran once that, you know, it's it's not easy to let go, but you can just loosen your grip. Mm-hmm. So it's incremental. And this is where the feminine is, to me, this is the way the feminine works. The feminine is like weaving gently, incrementally, slowly, like stitching these things into our lives. Rather than if we're, if we approach surrender in the old patriarchal masculine way, it's like, come on, just surrender, let go. Come on, you can do it. And it's like, no, I can't. (laughs) Every neuron in my body is really scared, scared and holding on. So can I first be with that, that resistance and allow myself 
to just be kind and know that this is part of what we were conditioned into. And then when we find that softness and we regulate the neurons a little, we get a little bit more trust and we can land in that moment. And then it's like, oh, I can just surrender at this age a Mm. little bit. And then slowly, slowly. So for me, that's one of the biggest pieces is, you know, we can say, oh, the feminine is so important. But if we approach the feminine through the through that masculine way, over masculine way of like, we got to nail it. We got it. It's the goal. We have to do it. I'm not a good spiritual woman if I'm not able to surrender. <laughs> that's that's really important. I think. Yeah. Important. Yeah. The the my favorite tool for letting go is tapping, and I think that mm. works really nicely to what you've just said because the goal of tapping is to allow the body to feel safe. Yeah. And it hacks the brain, in fact, to switch off the fight, flight, freeze response, telling the body and the nervous system that we are safe. And when we feel safe, we are allowing ourselves to be in the present moment, are we? And 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 we're able to to let go, to to let the resistance go. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, I, I love tapping. I really do. I just think it's such a gentle, feminine, reassuring. Something happens very, very powerfully in the body when we tap. Yeah, I mean, it brings a consciousness. That's my experience. And then, as you say, it has that amazing uh, effect of of creating a feeling of safety, which is what this is all about, you know. Yeah, yeah. Something I heard over the weekend, which has been playing around with me, is that um, we've been... We struggle to let go because of the there's something there's a link to love with so that we there's an attachment to love and if we let go of something or a job or something there's a fear that there'll be a lack of love as a result well okay yeah um and I've been trying to like mentally apply it to certain things and it kind of does play out for me it's like um what we want most is to belong, isn't it? And and to fit in and to feel loved okay. and to know to know it. Um, so then if there's if there's an act, the act of letting go comes with a fear of of not belonging or a fear of not feeling loved, then subconsciously we are gonna resist doing that. Of course. Yeah. Mm. And it's it's another way of saying, like in when you let go. When the collier comes and she shakes you and she says, okay, Mary, you can't live like this anymore. You cannot. And you begin to let go. What happens is you, you, move, in, you, you move into a void. And in the void, it appears there's no love. In the void is like, it's black darkness. It's like, who am I? Where, what's going to happen to me here? Because we've been so conditioned to deny the death and emptiness and the void. And actually, if we're willing to stay there, I'm willing to, to move through the resistance, to be with the resistance and then let it bring us into the void of a void of love is, is what we're most afraid of because we're afraid mm-hmm. that we die. It's very unsafe to not belong in a tribe. Yeah. So we're in this void in the darkness and there appears to be no light and there appears to be no love but actually 
when you're there, there is that's the dark feminine. She will guide you through. She is so much love. And in that moment, like at the winter solstice in the Celtic tradition, that's the moment the summer solstice is born. When you are in the dark night of the soul, when you think you're alone and there's no love and you're in an existential place of what is like, what is the point? What's this all about? That's the very moment that the, 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 the light returns. And then we realize that they're just in a dance with each other and that that love has, is both the darkness and the light, that there is not an absence of love. But we've been, we've been taught in our culture that love is light. Yeah. And darkness is not love. Darkness is bad and evil. And this mm-hmm. is just, this is, has to go. This has to go. I have full, you were just saying all of that. My whole, I'm closing my eyes listening to you. It's like my whole body is tingling. And for me, that's my truth mm-hmm. um, signal, you know, Um it's that's just so so powerful. It's like just because we can't see something doesn't mean it's not there, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, and actually, there's we're being held in that space. We're being nurtured and cradled. And look at the womb. You know, we exactly. are in that. Is exactly it the womb? Oh my goodness! Yeah, the womb. Yeah, that's it. I mean that that's the revelations there that I. <laughs> really you know when going through that that's what you you receive and then as you go through these initiations into that womb and the fullness that's there in the emptiness and the void and the love that's like totally holding you then that's how we we find trust that's how we begin to trust ah the cycles oh so things have to go, have to fall apart, have to be a little chaotic or a bit more chaotic. And I know the spring will return. I know growth will come. Just like in the womb, I know this darkness will move. I will move out into the world in birth and rebirth. Yeah. Wow. That's just so powerful. And leads us really beautifully into what you work with in terms of the cycles and the Celtic wheel. And, you know, I am quite removed from, from this way of connecting still. And, you know, I am many, many years awakening and evolving and, and still not fully connected back to nature yet. Um, So for people that are listening who don't know what the Celtic wheel is, um, can you give me a high level overview? Yeah, uh, first say though, like the feminine moves really slowly. So <laughs> I took me, I'm 20 years at this, you know, from the time, almost 20 years from when I had that crisis and I was kind of woken up. And it, it, it took me 10, 12 years to really honestly, authentically connect back to nature. It's like we're all on different journeys. And, mm. you know, your work with the body is nature. Like you're okay. in, you're so connected to that. So, you know, um, again, it's that ideal thing. We think, oh, we, we have to be out walking the fields and, you know, 
<laughs> tuning with all that. And it's like that's just hugging trees. <laughs> exactly. That's more like oppression of ourselves. Like just you're on the journey, whatever. Mm. Um, but as a high level, uh, the Celtic wheel is really a, a, a calendar of ritual uh, celebration that, you know, our Celtic and pre-Celtic ancestors left to us. And they, it, it's, it, it outlines the eight Celtic festivals. So everybody knows the solstices and equinoxes, you know, which were more the pre-Celtic stargazers, um, more in that Neolithic time. Um, and then in between each of the solstices and equinoxes, halfway mark, there's what's called the uh, cross-quarter days. And they they were more Celtic. They came in more in the Celtic time where, you know, the land and the tribe are in uh, really more, really working with each other. You know, they reflect that. So they're, they would be Samhain, which is in November, between the autumn equinox and the, and the um, winter solstice then between the winter solstice and spring equinox we've got imbolc and then between the spring equinox and the summer solstice we've got bialtana which is where we're at right now mm-hmm. and then between summer equinox summer solstice and the autumn equinox we have lunasa which is the harvest so Samhain starts the winter and the starts the Celtic year, it's because the Celtic year starts in the darkness. Oh. And then Imbolc at the around the beginning of February starts spring. Bialtana, just around the now at May, starts summer. And Lunasa around the beginning of August starts the uh autumn. Harvest. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Um I've seen that well, I I, I think there is a a rise in the awareness of this cycle of life and, and, and rituals. Have you obviously seen that? And I'm, I'm thinking across the UK and Ireland. Across the globe. It's yeah. unbelievable. I mean, it's it's the, the rise of the feminine coming back into cyclical living. You know, mm. that's what it is. Um, coming back, to, tuning to nature, because this is all comes from nature. You know, these cycles... Uh, the ancestors lived so close to nature that they naturally lived these cycles and we have separated ourselves from that. So there's a there's a huge reclamation of that, which is incredible to see, and particularly with women. Yeah. Right across the globe. Like I'm amazed in the Celtic wheel. Like I had people from China, Peru, as well as, you know, the States and People going, I I have never been to Ireland, but I just feel a real connection to it because my I do oh, yeah. I do it very much, you know, connected into the Irish tradition, and we're so lucky because the scribes and the um the monks wrote down a lot of the mythology in Ireland because the Romans never got here, so we have a very rich um written record, albeit they um. <laughs> they absorbed it into the Christian uh, retellings, but mm. it, it still gives us a great sense of our good, you know, the gold is still there from the oral tradition that was lost in so many other places. And are we, um, are we evolving the the old traditional um, take on things, you know, in terms of bringing in 
the awareness of trauma and the body, the neuroscience, the epigenetics? Are we are we adapting it for a new world? Yeah, I think. I mean, that's how I approach it anyway. Different mm. the, the Celtic wheel is is approached in very lots of different ways by different uh, different people. Uh, my my way of and how it came to me and how it made sense to me is really through the lens of evolution. So I'm interested in the lost wisdom, the wisdom that was lost and going back and picking it up because uh, I've been very influenced in my life by a great man called Ken Wilbur, a philosopher. And he talks about, he, you know, his, his work is uh, really talks a lot about evolution and about what we did was, or what we would what would be kind of the most generative is to transcend a period of time and include it. So say we go back into the Celtic times or the pre-Celtic, instead of we just transcended it, we didn't include it. Like when we came into the Enlightenment phase when science became really important and you know anything that could be seen was important can be seen as important, anything that's invisible. I mean, this is very simplistic, but we did not include the mystery. We did not include that ancient connection to nature. And so that's how I approach the wheel. I believe we're like 21st century women and we're here to be. We don't, I'm not interested in going back and becoming a Celt, but I'm interested in including my that deep Celtic wisdom and mythology and deep knowing and soul connection to that our ancestral knowledge and and then weaving it back in with the new wisdom we're getting from science from the neuroscience from psychology you know they're incredible when you bring them together and then you know at this edge of the Aquarian age a new age I really believe we're at, at that right at that precipice that we're actually then weaving a new world into being by by braiding in these different wisdoms. And at the center of it to me is like we are at our essence, our essential nature is really powerful and very wise. And it's just that to me is what this work is about. So to answer your question, yes, our evolution is a very important part of this. But it, it doesn't mean that's just the way I do it. And then my in, invitation is to anyone who comes um, to to study with me is, you know, find your own sovereignty in this. That's a very important part of the Celtic tradition. Was, you know, this is this is beautiful, um, beautiful material that has been left behind, and it's. We have so much great access to it now in this day of, in in this time of technology. And just find what resonates with you. Trust that you know. Yeah, totally agree. That's kind of where I position what I share as well. You know, it's if it resonates in your body and gives you the tingles or reminds you of something you already know, then then great. And if it doesn't, does you know that doesn't matter. That's that's okay. It might it might in the future. It might not. I'm an EFT tapping practitioner and trainer, and I work with women all around the world, helping them truly let go so they can shape their own future free from the conditioning and shackles of the past. I've created a tapping into motherhood membership and community 
where we meet monthly to tap on emotions and issues that are coming up for us. We enjoy guest speakers and I create a tapping script or meditation for the month too. As well as that, you have access to a library of over 160 tapping videos, meditations, resources and courses. So visit tappingformums.com forward slash join dash membership. How did you come across the Celtic wheel and, and, and like on the journey back up um, uh, with the Kylock by your side? Uh, how did you like, so what I'd love to know is what are like the benefits of working through and with the seasons in this way, for example, but maybe using your story to share and how, how, how it becomes real. Oh yeah. Nice. I like that. I like that. Cause I, it's, it, you know, it's one thing to talk about things, but then it's really nice to ground it in, in, you know, first person experience. So I hit that crisis and I, I had nothing, like I had no maps to, to show me. I was like, mm. I was walking around. I, I luckily had yoga and I went to live in a yoga center in the States while I was in the middle, like when I was coming out of my, my marriage breakup and just all I was trying to do was orient myself and find meaning. What is, what's all this about? And thankfully yoga did have some kind of maps that could help me come back into my body at least. And then, so I wandered in the, in the last forest for quite a while. I did have a sense something bigger is happening here. And I could see how I, I, I had also, you know, trained, was training as a coach. So that was a very deep self-reflective de- personal development piece. So little by little, but then five years after that initial crisis, having gone through five years of a lot of loss and uncertainty, my dad or four years, my dad got diagnosed with cancer. And he was, I was so close to him all my life. Mm. And he was a great man, beautiful man, and a beautiful soul, a beautiful open-hearted man. And he was diagnosed. And I had been kind of a good girl all my life, particularly with my dad, you know. And I remember the day that he, I heard his diagnosis, every part of me wanted to go down and take his suffering away and just be the good girl and I just went, I'm going to spend whatever time I've left with my dad, not hiding anything. I didn't hide for one minute my heartbreak. I didn't try and clean up my messy grief. I just showed him everything. And we had an amazing nine months, which was really where he really saw me in my truth. Um, wow. And it was it was incredible. Like it, it was I was suddenly seeing, oh, my God, this is how to live. Not this perfection who's trying to clean up the mess and make things OK for everybody and fix everyone and sort everyone out. And then as he was dying in the hospice, in the great hospital, hospice in Sligo, we as a family were there for five days and he had gone into, you know, he wasn't he wasn't conscious. I was unconscious and I couldn't find him on the kind of day three or four. I was like, where is he? I can't get a connection to him. And I went out to the Hazelwood in Sligo, which is a beautiful enchanted wood. I didn't kind of associate it at the time, but I went out. He was a farmer and he walked the land and he would pray when he walked the land in his latter years in particular. And I went out and I was in the bluebells and 
a gorgeous uh, hazel in between the hazel trees. And I just got a connection to the land. Something happened. And I got his presence and something beautiful happened. I, I don't know what it was. I have no words for it. And he passed away the following day. And then about a month later, I met, I kept asking him to, to help me, to just give me direction. And I met the great Dolores Whelan, who became my teacher in the Celtic tradition. Um, and, and it was just, I just knew it was him. He had something had happened in my connection to the land of Ireland. So I grew up in a farm. I should have been connected, but I was so not connected <laughs> to the land. But something happened in that forest and uh, it was incredible and um, deeply. I, it's just a knowing I have that uh, that's how I got connected in. And what happened then was I, I it started to show me and I saw it as a map of how to work with grief and loss and letting go and how to move into the feminine. Because the first half of the Celtic wheel is the feminine half of the year. The feminine is dominant. Six months, all through winter, all through spring, is an invitation to just not force and push, but to lead with the feminine, to stop reaching and grasping and sorting out and fixing which is what I was doing in my life. Even five years after the crisis, I was still trying to be, you know, the best teacher in yoga in Dublin or the, you know, I still had all those things. I still have them at times, you know, those <laughs> human things of like, yeah. And so just like it showed me how not to be the perfect daughter that's going to make, take the suffering away from everyone or sort everyone out. And it showed me how to have a deeply intimate time with with my dad's passing with the, with somebody who I'd spent, you know, 45 years on the planet with. And I had that last nine months that was just like, oh, my God, it was just so full of devastation and bliss and joy. It was had the full range. And that's what the wheel started to teach me. It's like, it's OK. You can feel it's OK to feel all of it. It's okay to be in your body. It's deeply uncomfortable, but this is living. Wow, this is like being alive. This is like being alive like a tree or a, you know, or a mountain or a lake. Like there's lots of stuff going on. So I, I, does that answer your question? Yeah, that's beautiful. Wow. Yeah. What a journey and a journey of authenticity, you know, something that you perhaps weren't in in that space to then committing to be authentic with your dad maybe then allowed you to progress further and go deeper with that yeah and be real and true and myself and I think it's that piece of like I saw afterwards it's just this fear of being of showing that you're a mess or that you're falling <laughs> apart or you're you don't have it nailed or you don't have the answers and to show somebody that as a woman who grew up in the 70s and 80s, who was like, you know, we've got it. Like, we know how to do this. We know how to, like, really be in contention and be so capable and so, mm -hmm. you know, um, and to just actually be in that 
hopeless, falling on the ground, crying, falling into my father's arms, sobbing, telling him how much I was going to miss him. Oh, my God, Aww. I can even feel it still. Yeah. But wow. it was like to show someone that to to even in, in our relationships without people who are dying, but to show someone that actually I don't know what to do here. I'm a mess. I'm falling apart. Actually, is such a such a beautiful thing to to be in relationship with someone like that. But we're we're not we're taught that that's not safe. Afraid. It's not yeah. always safe. You know, we're it's we have to. You know that vulnerability is much more complex than just that. But that's what the wheel and the feminine shows us that you know this thing of being run down, helpless, hopeless, is actually okay. It's an okay state because it just shows that in that state, I might reach out to someone and be real and true and ask for help. And I never did that before. I would never have done that. That's so beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. So what do you think is the biggest complaint or symptom that you see with people that want to come and work with you? Um, I see this over and over again. I knew, I know, I know it in myself too, or would have known it more myself. Is that feeling of overwhelm, um, and being pulled in so many directions because we're, because of that, um, conditioning to, um, the conditioning really to that we want to belong. Um, we need to belong. So we need to align ourselves with values that don't necessarily are not necessarily our own. Um, and to be really selfless. There's a lot. I see a lot of that with the people, with the women. I, you know, it's this, this in the, in terms of polarity, it's like they're, we're we're walking down the the side of the street that's that's selfless that there's no self. Carolyn Gilligan often talks about that. I love how she talks about it. She's she set up gender studies in Harvard in the seventies, and she talks about like there's no self. Well, if there's no self, then there's no relationship. And I, but that's what I see. So it creates a lot of overwhelm. It was like who I was too we're so caught up with all the things that have to be done and sorted out and fixed and managed. And and then we're trying to be great mothers and great people in the workspace, um, you know, get, have that kind of perfect body or the, you know, the, a body that's really fit and um, healthy, great partners. It's, that's what I see most. And we find coping mechanisms to do it, but it's taken its toll massively at a point where people, we get overwhelmed. And at that plot place, it's, it's the over woman. It's like we're over functioning. We're over scheduled. We're over leaning into everything and everyone. And we lose ourselves completely and lose our connection to our depth and our sovereign center. So we don't actually know who we are and we're being spun you know we're spinning plates I mean I'm I'm 
I have to watch it in myself all the time. Mm. Um, and it's at the cost of our sovereignty, you know, really living a life that's congruent with our depths. And so it it starts to get really painful. That's what I, what I see. And do people come to you with physical ailments or is it more emotional, mental? Well, they're all connected because, mm. you know, they can be can be one when it turns up in the physical it's a real call to yeah. action. you know it's a real like okay but I mean uh, yeah so I get it across the spectrum mm. but it's usually that that consistent oh my god I'm overwhelmed and I just don't feel like I'm living the life I'm here to live there's something I'm just missing I'm, something missing. yeah there's something missing there's something missing and it's not making sense so it's that's the that's the the, the talk in the mm. head that they're they're keeping quite quiet because you know it would disrupt everyone around them um and then the ailments yeah are, I mean the in the body it's that's huge anxiety and stress because it takes so much energy to keep that repressed mm-hmm. so much energy. and we've been repressing since we were born <laughs> absolutely <laughs> yeah yeah so you mentioned sovereignty um that's certainly a word that I've come across a lot this this last you know five or six years but I don't think it's something that nearly everyone understands you know yeah I think it's I think it's a charged word um and I use it very uh explicitly because I think it's an important word I Mm. think it's a time it's a word that's being we're evolving um, and I think it's a word that's hard to understand because we're in that transition between what it used to be and what it is really becoming and we're living into. Um, I, I suppose it's important. Uh, I've been really working with it since, I suppose, really for the last five or seven years. And the way I work with something like that is I hold it like a koan. You know, I hold it like a question. Like, what is it? What? Like, where is it in my body? What is, as I move in the world, can it, can the world inform me and my, and how, you know, can I be informed uh, by what, what actually it means? Because it's a word that intrigued me when I, mm. and particularly it's in, you know, it's in mythology and the Celtic mythology too. So, I mean, it's, I could be here for half an hour talking about it, but <laughs> to, it might be helpful. Um as I see it, is that you're the highest authority in your own life. And you're and that authority comes from your depths. So, but it's not about a rigidity that this is my authority. I'm doing this and affect the rest of you. So it is two aspects at least, which is I'm connected to my depths, to my rooted in that depth. And therefore, I'm the highest authority. So I check everything as much as I can anyway in the body. Like I will stop and I will see, is this, does this, as you say, like, is this, am I, what's, is this my truth? Mm. And again, to go back to Ken Wilbur, Ken would say every truth is true and partial. My truth is not the the absolute truth. The whole you, truth. Yeah. 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 We might have. The same experience, but you might have a different truth. And so that's the second aspect. So even though I hold myself as the highest authority in my life, 
I also stay open to what is all the perspectives around me. Mm-hmm. And can I not get rigid in my own my own sense of truth, but actually know that as people show up in my life, that I can stay porous and open and maybe be even changed by what I hear. But I'll so it's it's that real dance between I know what I stand for right now in this moment. That might change though if I move into a room and I encounter somebody who actually shows me a different perspective. So it's a it's a kind of center and periphery. That's how I see it. I see things in kind of maps and images. So I see like the center pole and then the circle of the periphery that as yeah. I move in the world, I'm I know what I stand for. I keep checking in. I keep checking in. So it's a very dynamic state. It's not rigid. Mm. You know, like I, I use that, like, do I wear a mask? Do I get a vaccine? I, that's what I use. Like I kept coming back to my body. My body will tell me if I'm, if I create that relationship with it over and over and over, I can trust my body. And then I'm not looking to other people or to, you know, what's the next, even in terms of like, you know, the style, the clothes we wear, the fashions, the whatever. I'm not going to be swayed by just what's out there. Like what really feels like, oh, this is me. Yeah, this is, I feel comfortable in this, my body, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, that's that's what I mean by sovereignty. And I'm an agent of change in the world. I take responsibility. Whatever happens to me in my life, I look as much to what's happening inward as to what's happening outside me. and. I am always, it's always a dance between the inside, the interior, my depth and my psyche and what's happening on the outside. I love that. I really, really love that. Like what you've described visually for me feels like a flow, kind of a co-creation between the the core of you, the central pillar or soul's voice, soul power, and then the ether and the the energy of the world around you, which is a multitude of truths from different perspectives. And, mm-hmm. and then how you, yeah, you said their dance, like that's all feminine, isn't it? The, the flow and co-creation manifestation. It just feels so freeing. Yeah. Well, it's also masculine. It's a healthy masculine. I know what mm-hmm. I stand for. I will yes, I will hold okay, my yeah. ground while I stay open to you relationally as the feminine. So it's that beautiful dance of, mm, you know, the balance. But yes, leading with the feminine, who's like, I want to be in relationship with myself and with ev- everything around me and everyone, but I'll I'll bring the masculine in service to that. I I'll I know what I stand for and I'll take a stand, but what, but I'll stay open. My belly will be open, my heart will be open. My pores will be open. I will be listening for the signals of truth that are yeah. around me that maybe are uncomfortable for me, but I'll I'll stay open. So I don't create an us and them. I don't create duality. Just that duality as much as I can. It's, mm. We're all these living, amazing, living creatures moving in this cosmic dance together, you know? And isn't that like... It's not, I mean, I don't remember this all the time, Jesus, you know, but it's like when I do, it's 
and it's hard to remember when you're in a conflict with mm-hmm. something in particular. It's like, I want to get rigid and take up position. I don't want to hear what you have to say. I'm feeling, you know, being right, it feels so good. But if I can just go, that's just my right. Maybe there's another truth here, you know, so all of that. Yeah. Not. And the, the masculine piece reminded me of the word boundaries, you know, like that actually yeah, that some totally. of our boundaries are really, really, really important. And if we're if we're almost too feminine, we're not we are people pleasing and we're giving too much and yeah. there's no balance in the receive and give. And boundaries are, are really, really important as well. Yeah. And that was one of the things I had to really learn was, you know, how to yeah take a stand, how to have myself. Uh, rather than because I was in that more unhealthy feminine uh, as well as the unhealthy masculine. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that was incredible. Last thing, last question. What would be your biggest piece of advice now for anyone who feels lost, um, who's really resonating with um, how you felt, um, you know, when you were at the peak crisis moments or Mm. someone who sees the slippery slope to what bottom is 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 imminent what do we do i would do what you do at Samhain at the beginning of winter you just get slow and trust start to really trust that you're being called into an initiation uh, that you are being called to evolve and evolution is messy and uncomfortable but it's you're being called into becoming more of yourself and recalling a lot of yourself that has gone underground and to really know that this is your soul's call to to uncover your genius your your soul's path in the world we all each of us have a very individual unique soul's path and and this is what happens when the soul calls you and says it's time to mm-hmm. live it's time to live from your genius from your dawn in the Celtic tradition which means your poem or your gift and and to just go slowly go slowly and gently mm-hmm. and dollops and dollops of compassion <laughs> absolutely absolutely mm. I mean I had the, it really reminds me of my journey, you know, and, and we lost our daughter, Alice, it'd be nearly nine years ago in November. Um, and she was full term and it was very unexpected, expected, very traumatic. And that was exactly it for me. That was when I seized the opportunity to just reassess everything because it was like, well, how how do I go back? I can't go back to normal after this experience. It's like that would be a waste of this grief, a waste of her life, a waste of the trauma. And yeah, for me, it was, it was a very, very conscious decision to pick myself up and move forward because I was young, I was 33. I needed like, wanted to have a family and um, yeah, I, I pulled myself out and, and luckily found this tool that yeah, EFT that was going to, guide me up there um, uh, and and move forward into remembering all the things I connected with as a child, <laughs> all the things we we naturally know and 
and forget with all the conditioning. So yeah, I mean, I've walked, I've walked the path as well. Amazing. And I'm so grateful for it. Like yeah. the gratitude I have for that journey. So that that's the message here. It's like it can feel absolutely horrendous. Yeah. But you will most likely be grateful for it. Yeah. And you're in the womb. You're actually being brought back into the womb for a rebirth thing. Yes. And your beautiful daughter mm. gave you that gift. I know. But it doesn't feel like a gift at the time. No. Gift. Yeah. But yeah. I quickly turned it into one because. It did. It turned like, yeah. Yeah. Because I was like, I could let this consume me or I can shift my perspective of it. And I decided early on to turn it into a gift. Um, and I was lucky I had that perspective. You know, obviously it was all, for me, it was all felt meant to be. And yeah. I know that Alice is my guide. Like she's literally with me all the time, like a twin, you know, yeah. that kind of energy. Yeah. Um, it wasn't that an amazing gift though. And I, I think, mm-hmm. you know, I think if people are in that place, it is to just turn things and pivot and say, look for, turn your perspective, go, what, what could be amazing of this? Like you said, you seize that moment. Like what, 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 what new gift is here for me in this? What learning, what gift? And then immediately you're open to life rather than. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds amazing. And mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I am very grateful for, mm. for it. And I'm sure you you have gratitude for your experience as well. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. Not always. <laughs> okay. Not this again. But yeah. Then you, then that's the resistance. So it's okay to resist. Yes. The other thing is really important. Just like we try to pivot and then the old self wants to resist. And that's part of the whole process. So don't make it a perfect, I have to be perfect surrendering or letting go or turning or pivoting. It's like I'll pivot and then the old self will rear its head and go, what are we doing? No way. And we do it in our own way. Like, and and yeah, you're right. It doesn't all look perfect and it it is messy and snotty and, you know, (laughs) um, grovelly and and painful in in so many ways. Um, But it's worth it when you, and 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 keep doing it like you know I say jokingly to a lot of people like I will be tapping on my bed deathbed I will be trying to let go as much as I can every moment of my life this is an ongoing lesson this is not something that you do once and then go oh great I'm free I don't need to do anything else anymore yeah and that's where the wheel shows us it's this constant it's spiral we keep spiraling We, we spiral all the time and then we just keep deepening and deepening. But it sounds, Sarah, like, yeah, you're you're really so um I love that. Like I'll be tapping on my deathbed, like you're so committed. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> committed, yeah, that's the word for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. That was incredible. God, we've gone on a journey there, I feel like a real yeah. spiral indeed as, as yeah. well. Um and touched on loads of different amazing topics, each in their own right could probably, you know, have their own podcast in, in a way. Um, so thank you so, so much. That was just beautiful. Yeah. And 
There was many moments there where my heart, my body was tingling and my heart was bursting open and my eyes were closing. And I was just really trying to like take in what you were sharing with me. And I just felt that was so beautiful. So thank you so much. Oh, thanks, Sarah. That means the world. And that's what this is all about, isn't it? About tingling and opening our hearts. And yeah. That's the word. Sharing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank so you for the work you do. Oh, thank you. Little love in. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to this episode. And I hope you enjoyed this chat and had a few light bulb moments. What are your key takeaways? Please do subscribe, follow, or leave a rating or review to help this podcast reach more people. And jump into my DMs and let me know how you get on. Thanks again to Ovirum, who are generously giving us a 20% discount with the code Tapping for Mums in caps. Do share with me what you buy and what you think. Also, don't forget to check out my website to take my quiz and start ramping up your own self-care practices. Visit tappingformums.com.